Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special mailbag episode, I'm delighted to be joined out in the wild by my good friend Jake Newman. Jake, how are we? And thank you for joining us. Hi, Dave. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's been a busy, bit of a busy time, but no, it's going well. And looking forward to have a bit of a Brentford chat for once. Yeah, good. I'm sure you've been busy, mate. And yeah, thank you for taking the time out to to chat to us and. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. It's great to have you on. Um, cheers for chatting to us out in the world, as I said. Um, yeah, so these we did one of these last month, and these little mailbacks, and uh, just um, just to give like questions a little bit of space to to talk through and um, focus on, and uh, they proved quite popular. So they are back by popular demand. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. You ready, uh, ready to tackle some of these and have a little brief chat about some other bits? Yeah, go on then. It's be interesting to see what questions coming up from Brentford fans, and if we can provide at least a bit of analytical insight into what our thoughts as fans are but I think do you want to start it off with a bit of a knowledge chat about last night I assume you watched the game and how it went yeah perfect perfect so let's go in with Norwich then so um uh we all know finish one nil a bit of a disappointing defeat um what are some of your overall feelings um on the game <sighs> I just thought it was a bit of a damp squid like I really wasn't impressed by either side I think we were poor until about the 89th minute where we somehow decided to wake up. We didn't create really anything from open play. I think Canos fluffed his lines in one position about the 30th, 38th minute. That's about it, really. Norwich had a few chances of what Pookie's one before the end of the first half was offside, it looked like, and got caught out with the chip. I thought Ray did really well. I think they had a couple of half chances, I'd say. They weren't anything major. I know on XG, I think it was about 1.5 to them, 0.92 to us. But again, obviously XG in single game context, some, you can't really take much from it in terms of like an analytical sense, but it just gives a bit of more of a context to what happened in the game. I don't know, I just thought both teams were at fives and sixes across the board. I think no one really excelled. I've seen that obviously thing about Benada, about seven key passes, and everything, but that's a, a key pass is a shot that uh, pass that leads to a shot. I could pass it a yard. That adds no context to what he did. He just laid it off seven times for all we know in the stats. So, yeah, I just don't... I think Norwich are sealed promotion now. I think they're gone. I think they're going to probably win the league comfortably now. 
I think 13 points between them and third place is pretty much seals the deal for them. It's just a case now, can we keep in touch and distance and with Watford, Swansea and even Reading to some extent, we're even down our necks now. <laughs> we got 12, 12 cup finals again, just like last year. Yeah, we wouldn't want it any other way, would we? Um, squeaky bum all the way to the end. Uh yeah, I know what you mean about like it being a bit of a damp squid. It felt like it, it. It did feel like we were playing a good team. I won't. I, I definitely got that feeling. I don't think they were um, exceptional, but I think they were in control of us throughout that entire game. That's something that stood stood out to me. I don't think we really put them under any pressure until that last few minutes, where we had a couple of just balls go in and they had to be defended and a couple of blocks. But other than that, I don't think they were really ever ever tested. Um, a couple of things stood out to me as well that um, I sort of noted down afterwards when I'm watching it. And I watched it back again this morning just to see if I was imagining it. But I think um, Norwich looked like the clear separated team in this league now. I think it's pretty obvious that they're a little bit ahead of everyone else and that everyone's fighting for that second spot. And it was proved yesterday. They they looked a bit sharper than us. But I don't know whether it was how tired we are or whether the, whether the last sort of maybe few months have really got onto us a little bit. But... I just felt like the crispness on the ball, just them moving it around and how tightly they were touching it and moving it on and then in possession. And then when they did make a bad touch, they were able to recover and just keep recycling the ball. Whereas us, when we were in possession, some of our bad touches, they were just, they were so bad and they were gobbled up on and then they'd turn over the, they'd win the ball. And I, I just felt there was a little bit of a class difference, like in quality as well, just how crisp it was moved around. And I think that was, I don't know whether that was just us being weakened and um, missing a bit of, Pontus, Henry, um, just a little bit of Christmas across the field compared to them where they had actually quite a strong team and they looked they looked ready to just cruise this home now. So yeah, just a just a difference in quality and us giving the ball away a little bit too too cheaply. I think Pinnock picked out well. Frank at least two times in the space of about five minutes. It was some cracking passing and it was just head in hands like <laughs> just looked completely different wavelengths. I think Canos touched it into a defender, then himself about four times. I think Jensen tried to play it down the side of them about once or twice, and every other time he got intercepted or he kicked it straight into touch. Tony looks isolated against two centre backs that just kept him in his pocket. It was just one of them games, wasn't it? Just nothing really clicked. We didn't really get going. I think if obviously if Kenos had, had scored that chance, then we might have you know had something to defend and play against. But it's football, you know, two teams that are at the top of the league cancelled each other out a bit Norwich yeah they're at the top for a reason they're that far clear for a reason and it's one of them things now you know it's I think we've gone for a bit of a blip but I mentioned it on my pod before we closed it all up of it's gonna happen you can't go 21 games 22 games unbeaten and expect to keep going Reading had a complete fluke season obviously with the 106 and it happens but you I think it's all about context and I keep mentioning it if we'd lost after every five or ten games it changes the situation. It's the game that, like the end of last year, we lost two in a row to not get automatic promotion, but we won eight in a row before it. But if we'd lost after the fourth game, then lost after the next, no one would say, oh, everyone would be applauding us. We're going, well done, you got so close. So to go then 22 unbeaten and then to lose, I think it's we've lost three now in the last four. I think I've got that right. It's, it's just one of them things. You know, it happens. The season ebbs and flows. Teams will have a sticky patch. Bournemouth are still in theirs currently. Bristol City plummeted down the table. Reading are in a bit of a rough patch, winning only two of their last five or six. Watford have picked up a bit of form with the new manager bounce. Cardiff obviously did the same, but that's going to fall off at hopefully at some point. It happens. Teams ebb and flow. And we're just in that sticky patch at the moment. We're four or five games in where we haven't 
really clicked. We haven't hit top gear, but we've got 12 games left. And I look at it on paper and we think we're 12 left. You think we're at least at win six of them. You hope <laughs> if in with six to remain. And then it's about drawing drawing a few others and then not losing by massive amounts and avoiding a sort of confidence again. It's, yeah, one of them things. And it's football. It, it, it flows. And we're only in February or March time now. Bloody hell. We're already in March. <laughs> and it's just one of them things. Yeah, there, there is still a long way to go. I, I think... Um... I think you're right about um, look sort of the other teams as well. I, th- I think we need to focus on ourselves a little bit more. There's no point in just thinking about what other teams are doing. They're, they're going to go through the same issues and they're going to lose games. And no one's really going to win out from here all the way. Norwich will probably push it close, but I think even they'll lose a couple of games just through just through injuries and bans and maybe um, just misfortune as well. But just focusing on us a little bit as well, and something I think we need to, we do need to think about because it's he's quite an important player to us, and he's going to play a lot between now and the end. Is um, Brian and Bummer? So I, I don't mean this to sound like picking on him or anything, but he's someone that I'm focusing on on like a, a long twenty game period now of just looking like a player that's not only devoid of confidence but just barely able to affect games in a positive way at all. Um, just looking at some of his numbers from last night, I don't think anyone really was great last night but for the forwards he um because we're building up on the right hand side now as a forward he was he had the most touches out of um tony and canos i think the most out of without jensen obviously jensen i think jensen was like in the 70s or something but and bemo was uh, he saw a lot of the ball yesterday and um not much came off for him at all uh what do you what do you think about him? Like we're we're going to need him big time. How are you how are you assessing him? Like what's um is it not as bad as I think, or is this um is this a player that needs to be maybe pulled out a little bit and and maybe Foster as well? Can you see why is this just a rotation thing, or are we just going to see him play through this basically? See now I've got a complete opposite point of view. I don't think Warren has been that bad this season. He's gone from playing in the most electric front three in the league, right? And BMW were the best three in the league by country mile, like about. At the end of the day, he's a 20, 21-year-old player who is in his second season of the championship, who is no longer playing in that front three, which was great for themselves. Whereas now I think we're playing a lot more traditional with Foss, who will tend to play wide right as a traditional winger. He'll keep wide, put the ball into the box. I think Canos is, again, of that mould. He doesn't really cut in as much. It's keep the pitch wide. We play with Jensen and and Godass, who tends to drop into pockets in the tens areas. I just think it's different, and I've mentioned it all year. We are not electric. We are not this attacking, all-out, gung-ho attack team we were and have been in recent years. I think Mbwomo's role's just changed. I think he is a player that scored 16 last year. I think it was seven or eight assists or nine, maybe, which was probably one of the best performances for an under-21 coming into the championship for his first ever year. Obviously, there's going to be a downturn. And he overperformed his expected numbers last year. I think he was only expected to score seven or eight and from and then scored 16 from it. So he's always going to balance it out. But his assist numbers have been a lot better this year. I think he's really threatening on that wide area. And again, we can speak about him, but if Canos had put that chance away, and Bono's got an assist to his name. That's another one to the tally. It was in a really good area. I think he's adding to his game. I think he's beating fullbacks instead of just cutting inside, as we know on his brilliant left foot. He's taking players on, going on the outside of them. I just think he's just different from where he was. He's, instead of having Ben Rama putting it back to him, he's got a Canos who's either cutting in and shooting. Tony, who... For all his goal-scoring qualities, isn't technically anywhere good enough or as good as Watkins. Watkins was a, a good target man; you could build through him and round him. Tony is an absolute finisher and so much better in the box, but it's not as good as Tony uh, as Watkins and Malpai were as building and using our front three. 
So then you have to build for other areas. You have to use your eights, your tens, your, your sixes, or your eight, or whatever they call it. So that's where we're just different. We're building, and I think Remo touched it on in a podcast he did, we're no longer relying on individual brilliance to win us games. We're relying on the unit to play well. And I think that's where we are so much better this year, as we are collectively better across the different positions and in our, our t- defence, our midfield and our attack. And we're not relying on a Ben Rama wonder strike to get us out of a game. We're not relying on a Buemo to cut in and curl it into the top corner like we did at Millwall. No, so no, I I thought he looked really good. It, I thought it was nice to see him popping up in central areas a bit more and getting onto the ball because sometimes he does get quite isolated out left, and especially against someone that can match him stride for stride. I think he's probably... I, it's like we saw it at Charlton where we saw Ben Rama rolling in and we tried to overload the middle. I think it gives us an extra dimension because teams don't know whether to go wide or ca- compact the middle areas. So yeah, I, no, I'm not. I'm not in that club of. I think Brian's struggling. I think he's just having a different role this year. And collectively as a team, I think we're doing we're working better with the way he's playing this year than where he was last year in that front three. Yeah, his role's definitely changed. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how well he's really fulfilling it at the moment. I think I don't think anyone's doing particularly well, and I think he has got a difficult task at the moment because we aren't as we aren't as slick and we aren't as good when the ball is in the final third for any of those top guys to hold on to it, bring others into play, and then him coming off the back of someone moving into the box. It's it's not quite working like that. He's needed in the build up, and then he's needed sort of to get on the end of stuff to create a bit later as well. And it, there is a lot more responsibility, and that could be part of it as well. I'm just. Uh, it's just there's just things that start to one once you sort of see something with a player it's really hard to unsee it and uh i'm looking at i'm just looking at him and thinking there's a few things that are, are worrying but yeah it's good to hear you're uh, much more hotter on him and not so not so down because uh it makes me um balance out my views on him a little bit more well yeah he's already at more assists for the season than he was last year and he's nearly in double figures for that his goal scoring year has been a little bit down but like we said, that change in role, he is part of the creation now. He's not building, he's not feeding off a Watkins who's dropping deep to play him in behind. He's having to create the chance for Tony to score, and I think that's fine. We've just got more typical wingers instead of that enigma of Ben Rama who would score 16 goals or double doubles each year. Like, it's just different. And I think that Brian is just, it's one of them, it's the product of that. It's a different role, it's a different system, and I think he's doing well in it. Yeah, not in the goal scoring element. and could be better in places. I think that miss at Swansea is one of them that you look at where he missed it from about two yards with a header. I think that was one of them at the back post, I think it was. It's chances like that where he should be scoring, but at the end of the day, for a 20, 21-year-old to be scoring, having 10 assists nearly this season is very, very good. And I think we need to, people just need to bear that in mind of, okay, yeah, he is only 21 and he is getting better and better and he is playing in a different system and role that he has been in previous years. We are here to do questions and it's good to round off a bit of Norwich, but I think the first flows into this quite well, actually. Um, yeah, good to get some of your feedback on these, Jake. Um, so I'll start off with Nick Pope. Uh, Pope86 asks, very fittingly, what is our best front three? I'm not convinced Thomas Frank knows 100%. Uh, loving the pod, by the way. Oh, nice, Nick. Nice. But yeah, so what do you think our best front three is? Is it just obvious? This is just an, a question to bat away. For me, it would be Mbomo Tony Canos would be for me. And then for, I'm not wholly convinced by Vosu. I think he's got... But then again, you look at the connection him and Tony have between them, it's incredibly positive. But if you were going for just purely the best individual in each role, I would have them three. I think Canos plays a very similar style. He's not as skillful as Ben Rama was, but he plays a very, very, 
very similar role to him, the way he would just shoot 24-7 from 25 yards out, regardless of outcome. I think we need someone like that to continually shoot because you end up games where Cardiff away, he scores three of his 10 shots he has. Um, but he's one of them. He, he adds a different dimension. I know we've mentioned he doesn't cut in as much, but he also has that threat to come out wide and cross it in in a traditional sense because I think Tony's so much better in the box than Watkins was. We don't have to build into better quality areas because we know Tony can score. I don't know. I haven't. I have no stats to back this up, and I have no evidence. But Watkins, it was almost like we were feeding him into these high high value areas. Whereas Tony, we trust him a bit more to peel to the back post, get onto the edge of these crosses. So I think Tony's a much better box player than Watkins was. But that's just because Tony's played with the number nine his entire career. <laughs> but no, I think. And then Mboima, I've already mentioned him. I'm hot on him this year. I think he's been very good. I think people can look at his goal numbers and go, oh, he's having a down season, but his assist numbers have gone up. It works both ways. And yeah, Fossey, I think, is a good impact player. And I've mentioned it before, I think rotation's key. So no, it's not any disrespect to Fossey. I think he's been really good this year and a surprise package for me that I didn't expect to have this sort of season. But I think he's part of the rotation policy and all all of them, except Tony, will get rotated around constantly because it's a long, long season, as we're finding. And... It's been, with 12 games to go, it's we're in the middle of March and it's still Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So these players do need resting, need, do need rotating. Yeah, I think I agree. I think um, if you're just thinking of just outrageous ability and like quality, it probably is Canos, uh, Tony and, and Bermo. But I, I think um, I think actual output and just what we need right now and um, a few other bits and probably just maybe a bit of accuracy on the ball, just a bit of precision. And because we look quite erratic at the moment, and I know that we've, there, it's just, we have to accept it that this year we don't need to be as perfect and precise because we can be a little bit more direct because we have Tony. But I think there's a lot of times now where it's starting to look like um, it's a little bit wayward up there. And I think Fosu gives us a little bit more control in the final third. I think just holding on to a bit, shielding the ball, moving into a better position. It's not so it's not so off the cuff and hopeful with him. And I think with Canos, a player who is that kind of erratic, um, that, that chaotic player, you need a little bit more precision up there. And I think um, Fosse would give us that. So I, I think our best three talent wise, obviously we know what it is. I'm Bermo, Tony and um, Canos, but I, I think the best right now, I think the team would be Fosu, Tony and Canos, just with how Fossey would link with Tony and also just a bit of the precision he'd give us in the final third. But yeah, those are just um those are just how I see it. Um yeah, it's uh it is an interesting one. It's um I th- I think really the on the honest answer to this is you have to play who's fit and who's who's able to play the ninety minutes. Like Mbomo got ninety minutes at Norwich. Um I I don't I wouldn't have thought he'll start against Rotherham. I think Fossey will come in for Rotherham because of how much he played in such an intense game. So yeah, it's it's pure rotation at the moment. We're just getting from game to game, and uh, let's hope Thomas does know his best team. Yeah, they're all of a similar level. You look at the numbers for the year, and Boimo's four goals, nine assists. Fossu's Canos uh, is six goals, four assists. Fossu's five goals, two assists. So it's it's just one of them. You've just got to play them all at some point. You've just got to keep rotating them around and that's the it's not Frank doesn't know what he's doing, he's just trying to manage the squad. We've already been hampered by injuries in our spine of the team and you then lose your attacking players as well on top of that. It just adds a ball like because if you go past Fosu, you go past Canos, you go past Obama, who's next? Who do you bring into these roles? Do you play to Silver out there but he's out until the end of March? Do you play B team lads that and then come up to the squad but aren't necessarily going to be good enough hitting the ball running or ground running you know it's it's 
you have to keep them fresh as as well as you can. And I think that's one thing Frank's done really well. And this season is rotating. I know it's cost us a little bit in places. And Blackburn, we look at it like, why is he taking Henry off? But you've got to manage these players. And it's one of these things that it's just COVID. And it's the way the season's gone. Yeah, I think you just touched on it a little bit, and this is a good lead into the next question. Um, we started to look at the back line and the defence. So, uh, Total Mexico asks, uh, Pontus or Winston as first choice when both fully fit, or will they be rotated to preserve their fitness? So, before we go into their fitness, I reckon ask, let's look at them maybe as in like actual players and maybe their technique. They're both right-sided centre-backs. Um, in our system, they're really important in sort of the build-up positional play and just getting us moving up the, through the thirds. And then you've got to think about them defensively as well. Uh, so without the fitness side of things, what do you think? Who's um, who's your number one there? Pontus for me, without a doubt, 100%. I, I, I think Pontus is just a better player and has been. Obviously, Winston Reid's coming off the back of nearly two, three years out injured. We're forgetting that he did his cruciate knee ligament and could and has barely played and I think Brentford was the first game he'd played since 2017 in England so Pontus for me hits the ground running at first choice he is our captain he is the leader of the squad no I think Reed's come in and been a good option player and come in and fill in a void now because we are at the bare bones at the back pretty much but no I don't think he's better than Pontus in his current form but that being said leading into this next point about rotation they will just rotate in the way Mads Beck will cover for Pinnock some games, Pontus will come in for some games for Reed. It's just the way it works. And we I've covered my points on that. It's just COVID. And you can't be expecting players to be playing four games in two weeks and their bodies not break down, especially those coming back from long-term injuries, in the way Pontus will be and the way Reed has done. So just one of them things. And we're just going to have to get used to it. And with this, we've got 12 games left now. and We've had nearly over 30 games of it. I think everyone just needs to remember these players are only human. Their bodies will break down. There's a lot of football left. Let's just, bit of perspective, just calm down a bit. And he's not doing it to actively lose. He's doing it because that's the best way he can protect his squad and actively also get the result we want. It's all about perspective. And I think that's just, we have to manage that and look after these players in the best way we can. Yeah, I think, I think another good way to approach this is just having both Pontus and Winston fit it would be just brilliant in itself. Yeah. The, <laughs> the selecting them would be, uh, <laughs> picking either of them is just a bonus at this point. But um, just going back onto them technically, I think because Winston Reed played yesterday against Norwich, it's not um, picking on him again, but there's a few things you can see that <clears throat> he is still developing and coming back to some kind of fitness and confidence. There's there's a few moments where Pontus would break a couple of lines and find someone in midfield or the final third and get through, whereas Reed is a little bit more bringing it back into shielding the ball, getting his body between the and um, sort of an attacker and the ball and just going back to, to Rea or, or just staying really comfortable and being a bit safer. And um, I wouldn't say playing within himself, but I think there's definitely a, a bit more of a caution about him and ability in his passing. And he, he probably has got these in them, but when he... He just needs to get there to to play them, and I think it stifled us a little bit. And that's the I think uh, a quality thing. Pontus has played at Leeds. He's played for us for the last two years. He's just in another level of a winning, functioning, like good possession based team. Whereas Winston Reid is still still learning the ropes for that. But um, tenacity, winning headers, and coming in and um, being being a good defender is yeah, he's he's right up there. He can do those things, and it probably shocked me a little bit actually how quickly he has looked like an athletic option but I, st- I still think um, there's a long way to go and I think it's really important that we have a, a centre-back 
especially with um, Mads out on the other side, who's just really good on the ball and actually does help us. Because last night, I won't go too much into it, because we, we were obviously in a three a back three for a lot of the time last night with Dalsgaard pushing high. It was Reed on the right, Pinnock and um, Mads just holding back. And, and at times, it was it looked like that awful game against um, Stoke when we were playing 3-4-3. Three, three. There was just no route out. So, yeah, um, I'd like the fact that both of them are fit. Um, it'd be great to choose between the two and just rest each other and get through this. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how their um, how their fitness levels are and just yeah, the sooner Pontus is back fit, I think the better. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. And I think we have a boost to this side. That core players that we're missing out on: Norgard, Janssen, Henry. These are big, big players, and any team's going to struggle without their players in the side. And it's just one of them things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This leads on well to Joe Hells goes into asking, um, thoughts on the left-back situation? Who'd be your choice in the current squad with Rico out? Was it a mistake not to get some cover in January, i.e. like the Cam- uh, Callum Styles rumours? So would you do what they're doing, what Frank's doing with Mads? Would you think of Roslev as the number one there? Or what? how would you approach it all? Unfortunately, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And who were we to know a week after... Oh, it was a week or two after the window closes that our starting left back pulls his hamstring in, is out for, uh, I think it was eight weeks, was it, they've said? It's, you can't help it. But if, at that point, you'd played nearly 60 games in a row, like non stop. It was ridiculous the, the volume of games he was going through. Uh, who would be my choice in the current squad? I'm of the opinion I'd like to see a change of system. I'd prefer a back three. I don't think Mads Beck has the mobility to play as a traditional left-back in the way we build. You mentioned it earlier that we're trying to build down the right because obviously Dow's guy can overlap and Mads tends to drop into that free shape. I think we should swap it around. I'd rather us play that like that three two, uh, the 5-2-3 potentially and use then our, and so then the system doesn't change that much. We still have that 8 and 10 maybe in midfield. I know we might get overrun a little bit, but then that allows potentially someone like Pinnock or Reed to step in and create like that third man so then we can go to a flat four if we want to. I've seen some suggestions, you know, playing out on the left. But again, I think that mobility issue doesn't doesn't sit well with me because I don't think you get up and down. And in the way, I and mean, there's question marks of... I still have question marks of his technical ability and ball progressing. Yeah, you could say it was a mistake, but in hindsight, we had the best fullback in the league. And who are you honestly going to bring in that's going to, one, sit behind him, two, want to sit behind him, and three for the right price. We all know January is a window where prices of players are massively inflated and they go for stupid amounts of money. So someone like Callum Styles, how much are Barnsley going to actually want for him? Five, ten million if we're talking ballpark and why are they going to then want to come in and sit behind Henry? Why, that five, ten million is better off being within the club for an assault in January or in the summer, sorry. And obviously Thompson's gone out on loan. No one knows what's happened behind the scenes. For all we know, Thompson's in a contract year, wants to get out, play football. There could be all manner of issues here. And we've got to bear in mind, these are short careers in football. If you're Thompson and don't want to sit on a bench for an entire career and you've got a contract year coming up, how's anyone going to sign you next summer when your contract's out? You know, that's that thing of you need to look at it from all sides of the coin. The club obviously... Obviously, didn't want Henry to get injured, but Thompson also wants to play football, and we also don't then want to spend a ton of money that we probably don't have because of COVID. Because player trading is the only way we're bringing any money in so at the moment because there's no fans. It's it all there's all sides to every story, and I think at the end of the day, yeah, in hindsight, we wouldn't we shouldn't have probably got rid of Thompson. We should have probably looked to keep him around, but then again, there's probably context and probably a reason Thompson's out on loan. 
so that none of us will know and that I'm sure the club has a reason for everything they've done. And again, I trust Benham and I trust the board of directors and I trust trust the directors of football in this one. It's just very unfortunate a week later our starting left back goes down inches. And it's now eight for eight weeks. Yeah, it couldn't have gone any worse, could it? But what I thought was interesting for what you'd say is you'd go for the change of shape and just actually be not... Um, you'd go for a, like a static or, or designated 3-4-3 three, three, instead of the trying to replicate what we did with Rico without him and chucking over Mads there and just building up on the other side because you wouldn't go with Rozlev down at left back, for instance, and just try and keep that 4-3-3 four, um, four, three, three going. You would actually de- definitely change shape. Well, it's a case. We, I think we did it a bit last night. I think I don't think Madsbeck overlapped at all. I think he was very, very much in the way Dalsgaard tucked in and comes and plays at that back three when we attack down certain sides. And I don't remember Madsbeck going up and carrying the ball into the final third. I think it's very much of yeah, we we have a four-three-three, but um, for me, formations are pointless. For me, they're just rubbish. You're only in formation at kickoff, and we're so fluid and we animate and rotate. I just think I think if we played with a solid three and then allow two wider players, someone like a Dalsgaard and then Roslev on the other side or a Yanol or whoever to then attack and focus on that area first. And that's for me, I think, how I saw it because then it negates Madsbeck having to play out on that left side. We saw issues with it against Stoke where Madsbeck got his feet a bit tangled up. I know Reyes punted at him stupidly, but what you could argue is that Madsbeck's positioning was poor. He should have stepped out backwards and instead of turning his body in to get out into shape, he should have opened up to be able to receive on his left foot and go straight down the line. You know, it's, I think he's just very awkward. and He's been a great third, fourth choice this season. Don't get me wrong, he's been a good player. but And he's, he's done well considering the circumstances. But no, I don't think he's a left-back. And we've sticking a square peg in a circle hole at the moment and I'd rather us let him go back onto his left side and free someone up to go down that wing. Yeah, I guess that next bit just begs the question of who you play as that left wing back then. It's got to be someone that's right-footed, obviously, because we don't have another left-footer out there. So does do you pick a Fossi or do you go a Roslev or how do you approach that side? But I quite like Tumboimo down there. I know he's played there a few times and he's dropped in in part of the five. I think most people look at a five as... A defensive shape, but it's, I don't think it is. I think Canos, if you played in wide right, then potentially play someone like Mbwemo on the left. I think, again, I'll bring up the Brian Romo podcast. BC, BC United did a great write-up on it, like translating it all from Danish. And he they mentioned Brian's qualities are running from deep and picking up the ball in these areas and then attacking. And so if we can play to them strengths and play that back five, you've got Madsbeck in his more natural role. You've got Mbwemo allegedly in a position where he can attack from deep, where he that our assistant manager saying he's better. Canos, I think, is much better at that. And then you can have that freedom and a better attacking structure. That, for me, that might be a nice idea. I think Canos, wide right, maybe Dalsgaard, right centre-back, if we rotate in uh, Pinnock or Reed through the middle, then Mads back out le- on the left side of the three. And then maybe Mbwemo on the left wing back. Who knows? I think that would be quite nice. And then a midfield two of maybe Jensen and Yenolt, or Jensen and Norgard, because I know Yenolt is more of an eight. And he said in an interview himself, I think he did a really great one with, I know I'm plugging a lot of things here, but he did a great interview with the German <laughs> newspaper and said they signed me as a number eight. So maybe Yenolt and Jensen as a two-man midfield with then Tony up front with maybe a Fossu, or Fossu or Foss. You know, there's options here and I think, we, I, I would like to see us be creative and change it. Yeah, it sucks, Henry's out, but the principles don't change. The system might do and our builder patterns might, but who knows, you know? I'm 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'd love to be at the club and fly on the wall here because they're obviously going to come up with solutions and they all have their own ideas. But I think from the last couple of games, we've been stale. And you've seen it, even with Rico in the side in the 4 in the four three three, we have been pretty stale, pretty abject. And even in that run of 21 games, we were pretty poor in places. Like Our build-up patterns were shocking because it was just so predictable. It was build with a double pivot, play out wide instantly, try and cross it into a box. It was easy to defend. Why not mix it up a bit? Why not let our wing-backs attack full-backs and, you know, free them up a little bit. Let, let the reins off and let them go. Let them go and unleash the reins. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> see us home um, in fashion. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, let's go on to the next one. Uh, the next one is... This is from uh, Paul Hover. He says, a little bit more on Mbomo, actually. Recent games we've seen Mbomo play down the middle and on the left wing. He has shown these are viable for him to go, uh, to play going forward. As to me, when he's on the right, it doesn't work consistently enough. Is it better used as a switch tactic in a match? What do you think? Um, yeah. Let me, I'll approach this one first quickly, just the thing that I was saying, because I think, um, just only because it's fresh in my mind, I think the game that Tony was banned, sorry, injured for, um, who did we play for? I can't remember who it was, but it was good. It was, it was the three of them. It was Fosu, Canos, and Mbemo rotating, wasn't it? And I think Mbemo started through the middle and then moved out wide a little bit. And they, they, there was a bit of flexibility throughout the, uh, throughout the match. Um, uh, sorry, it was against Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't it? Uh, um, yeah, I, I quite like that. I think because of what I was saying earlier about how much I'm seeing Mbemo struggling, and I, I think I'm seeing a lot of disappointing things with him and his own individual game, that playing him through the middle might actually free him up of some of that responsibility and he only needs to just press forwards and backwards, a little bit of going left to right, but out of possession he's got a little less to do. 
Um, and then he can be on the end of stuff and we're not so reliant on him and his touches at the moment. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think him in the middle isn't the worst idea at all. And I, I think that actually might be something we see a bit more of if Tony isn't able to finish this season. I, th- I think I'd rather see Mbomo there than a force, for instance. I think force struggles a little bit as the single person in the 4-3-3. He has to come in off one of the side, one of the wings and join in with Tony there because he's, he's not quite got the physicality or the the positional sense of where he should be in this in this system. So, yeah, I, I think it's quite nice to see him bummer down the middle, and I, I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be upset to see a bit more of it actually. Yeah, it's one of them things. I think we've seen fluidity with our front three throughout being a Brentford fan for the last five six years. I think Abuemo was initially signed as a striker and to play as a number nine. Obviously, then Watkins and stuff came in, and we we rotated rounds and stuff. But you can never set and set in stone that. Brian was playing on solely on the right. It'd pop up in all manner of spaces in the way Ben Rama did. Like it's just one of them things. Um I think the switch it's a typical Sunday league thing, isn't it? In youth football, it's like I'll oh, switch the wingers, get the better of your other man. And that's the, I think I've mentioned it earlier about that switch of to the traditional. Get Brian out on the left and play as a winger, get Canos out on the right to play as a winger, and then cross it into the box and go for a more traditional four three three. Whereas then if you switch them back, you know both are going to cut in and be that dual threat, if you like, of they shoot, they cross. It's just different options. And I don't think it's as Sunday league as, oh, go on, lads, you're not having success with the left back now, Brian. Get across and try and beat your right back. But it is a tactical thing of, right, we're now switching to a more traditional 4-3-3 now. Can we feed the balls into the box? Can Goddard be a late runner in Ken Jensen support? Can Tony get him at the back post? Just a tactical thing, I think, that it's another animation we have another rotation of players that we have as well and that's just my view on it might be totally wrong and Frank if he ever responds to one of these will tell me we just know they're having enough games and we want them to play better beat their man out wide then fair enough I will have my hands up but I do think it's just a tactical thing and it's just a case of a switch of how we play stylistically yeah good stuff okay a bit on the opposition now actually Robert Page asks uh, why are wingbacks so successful against Brentford uh, is it just an age intensity thing or were bees having an injury play off period or is it a bit more than that? And then um, there's a bit about like what's the difference way they've played and um, roles and teams and who pushed them high and dropped deep. And I think he's just focusing on that blip we briefly mentioned earlier. There was, um, and I spoke about this with John on the monthly one. There was a period where we played, I think, five teams in a row with wingbacks. We lost three of them and drew, well, sorry, lost three and won two. Um, but I, I kind of said it's a bit, it's not really, it's not really right to just like pigeonhole all wing back systems under under one umbrella because they're all very different. They're all um some. It, it basically it just depends on which players playing these roles. Like we were speaking earlier, if you're going to play Mbomo left wing back, you're going to get a little bit different out of him than if you play Rico Henry there. Henry's going to be more aware of defensive responsibility, so he might tuck in more. But he's also got that timing of pace to get up there and join him with Canos, so he'll understand the position a bit more deeply whereas Mbemo's is not quite natural to him but he can probably do a job there and then if again and as well if you play Mads Bex sort of on the left not quite as a wing back but on the left he's going to approach the role differently he's going to get a little bit nervous the more further away from the goal he's moving because he knows his touch is probably going to be exposed or he might have to do something quicker than he likes so it comes down to players doesn't it but um what's what's your interpretation how why do you think um Wing backs themselves are really successful against Brentford, or is it just a case of this four three three doesn't like it doesn't like coming up against back fives? 
I think it's a case of correlation causation and a bit reactionary. Obviously, you mentioned the five games in a row with back fives, and we lost three or four of them. But then again, you think how many other teams earlier in the year we were playing with a back five and beat or drew against. One of them things. But there is probably some tactical stuff here. And one of the biggest things that centres around in being successful in football is overloads. And if you can overload teams, in, especially in wide areas, and get down the sides of teams, you're going to be more successful because you can cut it back into better value areas. The goal scoring becomes easier because you're going back into the six-yard area. And Pep Guardiola, I would say, at City is probably one of the best in the world at this, creating overloads. So in a very basic sense, I think the back five creates 3v2s in our wide areas. Even if we double up and send our wide players out, we still have to send the third midfielder over to create a 3v3, which then creates pockets of space in the middle, which then leaves us overloaded centrally because then they're playing through the centre of us. So that's, I think, it's on a tactical sense. I think we're getting beat in these wide areas in 3v2s. And it's a lot easier for a team to get down from down the sides of us. If they're playing that 5-3-2 in, or 3-4-3 in the way Barnsley play, I think they've got them overloads in them wide spaces, which causes issues. Because how can a defender defend three people versus two or versus one? Even these 2v1s, when the fullback overlaps, it creates problems. So then you have that issue of what do you do? Do you defend the box? And just defend the width to stop the cross and try and stop the crosses coming in. Or sorry, do you defend the width and try and stop the crosses coming in initially? Or is it a case of narrow up and protect the box and stop stop the cross when it comes to you? Brentford have proven inefficient at stopping balls at the back post in recent weeks, especially with Raya not being the most composed in the air, Pinnock getting beaten and Tony having to cover at the front post nine times out of ten. So it's that strategy mentality of how do we deal with it? I think Teams that tend to play a five, and I mentioned it about, it's not a negative shape. I think a back five allows a lot more flexibility in the attacking third and the attacking phase more than anything. I don't think it's a defensive shape. more than, And so teams then have flexibility to press us in the way we saw Coventry do it. We've seen Reading do it. We saw Barnsley do it. And no team is good playing out under massive amounts of pressure. Even City will crumble at times because they aren't going to be able to play out. So it's just that balance. And I think... From an attacking point of view, I would much rather us attempt to stop the crosses. That's just personal and opinion I have and how I would coach the game. It'd be a case of, right, get out wide and stop the cross at all costs. Block it, throw yourself out, I don't care. And then from a defensive standpoint, from our building standpoint, I think we struggle because there is typically 1v1s in the pressing game all over the pitch. Striker presses a centre-back, that's a 1v1. The right winger then tucks in to take the left-back out of the game, that's a 1v1 pressing situation. And you rely on individuals of progressing the ball quickly. You rely on individuals beating that man initially to get out of them. And as we saw with Barnsley in the 1-0 when we played them earlier in the year, they push up, they're spaced down them wide areas. And Swansea do a very similar system where I think I created a graphic that showed it. That's what we want. You want to suck the three central defenders in and then play down the sides of them. Play the long balls into these channels and get down the width, the angles. I think we did it brilliantly against Stoke the other day because we chose to go longer. I don't think we played through the thirds much and we tried to get them out in wide areas and just get them long and go long into these channels and we attack them there. Win the second ball, win the knockdown, then we turn them. And it's... That's sort of think the difference with how we need to approach a back five. I just think it's the last couple of games, yeah, we've struggled against a few of them, but then we also beat them earlier in the year. It, you know, swings and roundabouts, football, it happens. And that ebb and flow stuff I keep bringing up, it's just one of them things and it happens in football. Mm. Yeah, I, I like a lot of what you were saying there. I think um, it, it reminds me of some of the type of conversations we were having as well. Like talking about... So that, that wing-back thing, especially with Barnsley as well, I, there's... 
Barnsley didn't. I've watched that game back. Actually, I've seen it a few more <laughs> clips from it more than I'd like. Actually, and I think it's a bit of a myth to think that Barnsley actually pushed their wing backs really, really high. They were just well timed. So when the ball was on the left, or we were taking throw ins, or whether we were building up from that side, um, uh, Styles and um, I've forgotten who was playing on the right. Britain. They just timed their positioning really well, and they knew when to join in with the the, the front um, wide right or left player as well. And they just created a little bit of a diamond on that left hand side and just created an overload that you were saying. It wasn't that they were really pressed high. The front three did a lot of that good work on their own. They didn't even need the wing backs behind them. It's just their positioning was really good. And then when the ball went forward, they were they were just around for those knockdowns and they were really intense about making sure that second ball was won. And we couldn't do anything really. De Silva had the ball on the right once or twice and he was surrounded by four players. Um, it was just a really good positional performance from them. So the three that they had at the back surrounded by um, two wingbacks, well, they, the wingbacks were quite deep at times. They weren't exactly pushed forward all the time. They, they just got forward at the right times and um, positioned themselves well. So I think their energy and their age, that, that was in the question I think was really good actually quite insightful that they could play their a high intensity system and a and a basically a really good second ball game because of their their athleticism their range whereas we saw Sheffield Wednesday um they had a similar system but their wing backs one of them was Adam Reach not naturally a wing back the other one was Kadeem Harris quite attacking in his mindset so he never really got his defensive positioning right and in the end we picked them off so it does come down to sort of who's playing there, where they're positioned and how well they're able to move up and down the pitch. And then Swansea just play it in another way altogether against us. They were just really deep and held theirs back and um, just let us have so much of the ball and just shrunk around their own goal. So the 4-3-3 itself is vulnerable to wide play. So if you, you do gamble with them and get them get the positioning right, it's, it's, it's where you can overload and it's where you can cause damage. And I think last season then that's where some of the differences between last and this season come out because we would go a goal up or two goals up a last season we could just sit in that 4-3-3 block just solid really just control our half of the pitch wait for someone to make a bad pass and then Watkins or Ben Rama would run 30 or 40 yards and we'd be up the field and we'd be we'd be able to counter attack but we, we don't quite have that this year we're not we're not being as successful and maybe that's what you're saying we were we probably struggled against bat fives more than we did last year if I'm honest but yeah, it's um, it's hard to make a sense of it, and <laughs> you need to watch a lot of this stuff back and keep watching it. And then, a lot, some of the it's just some of the perceptions we have are not actually quite as um, real as we think when we're watching these games in the in the heat of the moment, basically. Yeah, I think this ties really nicely into the follow-up question for Will Go. We're mentioning about you know and uh, Norgar potentially playing with each other or one or the other. And I think this is a massive thing is, and I'll mention it, it ties in beautifully with your point about the back five, of we're not as good because we struggle to build. We can't play through them. And Barnsley did an excellent job and I did a number on him of cutting him off and cutting the Parsons lanes to him. I've said it repeatedly and I'll bang, bang the drum again. I don't think, you know, is good technically as Norgard. And you can see a massive difference and drop off in the team and the way we play. I think, you know, he's really struggles to create himself separation if he's playing as that sole four or six, whatever role you want to call it. I think he doesn't create separation well, and it's easy then for to stop teams playing through and stop us playing through him. Norgard is so much more adventurous on the ball. I think you can see the difference when he, he goes forward. Nine times out of ten, I think Norgard will look to go for a further forward. You know, it's just neat. I think he's too, too safe on the ball sometimes, and instead of trying to progress play and move it forward, I don't think... We get very hampered in our building phase, and I think we'll see a massive difference with Norgard. He is so, so silky in creating himself that room. 
to get on the ball, receive it on the half turn, play forward. Because that turns teams quickly. As soon as that press is beaten once, you can play through that five. And Barnsley, we showed it against when we played them earlier in the year. You can play through them. And it's a big limitation to United's game. Like I said, I don't think defensively there's much difference between the two of them. I think they're really, really solid in that four role. But I really struggle to see and the positives with Unolt in our building phase. We're just so conservative. We have to drop someone alongside him to play in a two-man midfield, which then limits our building because we have to go wide every time because we can't play through the centre. That being said, and I'm probably being overcritical, but Unolt was signed as an eight. He admitted himself he was signed to play that box-to-box role. He wasn't signed to play as a four and a six or a six. And he's had to adjust and adapt to that position. So, that being said, would it be interesting to see Norgard play there, then you know, then a Jensen? 100%. Because it would be great to see you not finally playing in a role he claims was he was signed for. So, on balance, yeah, I'd like to see it, give it a go. And especially with the rotation options needed, and especially with someone like De Silva out. Unfortunately, we've lost our two biggest ball ball progressors in Baptiste and De Silva who do that work on their own so I think we'll have to variety, mix up the roles a bit if we play with maybe like two eights you're not being the um, and Jensen both playing as ball progressors and passing and the, the neat players in between not necessarily yeah it's no criticism it's just different and I think yeah that, that's one of you know it's biggest things I think he really needs to improve on is just just stop with being so conservative like I'd rather see him attempt five six passes going forward and trying to break lines than t- 20 of them side to side. I don't think keep it, us keeping the ball helps us because it allows team come, to come onto us. If he at least attempts to break lines and go into a further position, I think that frees Jensen up, it frees Goddess up, it frees our wingers up because our build-up play becomes so much less predictable and easier to defend and that ties in with that back five. If teams can cut the head off and stop going through your null, then we can go elsewhere. We can go wide. But if you cut his head off and stop us trying to play, it, it just limits us totally and... But again, that's probably because he's just playing a different role to he's been used to. And I'm probably being overly critical. And it's probably unfair considering he was 200 grand and he's done an incredible job to step in and replace Norgard, who was so important for us last year. So yeah, I, I think it's a perfectly valid point. And I think it'll be interesting with rotation, different options. What can he potentially offer as an eight? What can he do in that role of Jensen plates? Maybe that neat playmaker ticking the ball over is something we need in there to calm the midfield down. And then allow Norgard to play a bit more of a free role. And we've already seen Yonolt's got a shot on him. That goal at Stoke was bloody incredible and it was it was a special one. So if he's doing that more often than not from the edge, <laughs> that's some front, that's some midfield free, especially with Norgard sweeping. Yeah, that Stoke goal was um, was pretty special, isn't it? And I think we've seen a little bit of on him, um, just a bit more inventiveness and explosiveness around the box, and um, you can see that. I think he's a little bit better around there. So I think he has improved picking the ball up from Rea deep and um, just moving away from whoever's pressing him and then just moving out wide and getting us going. But I think you're right, though. We do need... I think a lot of our build-up does involve a, a central midfielder coming back into that line and getting involved. But when that central midfielder drops back, what you want is... Norgard and what Norgard was good at was he was good at moving forward and then providing that option quickly and then we can get out the field or that deeper midfielder can just dribble or get past the player or break a bit of pressure and we are kind of a bit stale back there it's, it's, it's we are struggling a little bit but I, I'd be quite interested to see them play and I think um, fitness wise it might happen sooner or later because they are the only two fit, fit midfielders we might see it out of um, out of just no other option rather than uh can they play together? It's not can they play together, they have to play together because that's all we might have. So 
we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think it's either or. I've probably said this before on this channel. It's not. I don't think it's either or at all. I think um, Janelle has strengths and a physicality and um, a bit of a ranginess and a shot, basically that he can play as one of the eights and uh, maybe giving him a little bit more um, license, just using his physicality a bit further up the pitch might be might be a beneficial to us as well. Um, Definitely not as two sixes and or two four. I call them fours. They might be called sixes. I don't like building for a double pivot because it is just useless. It completely stifles us in the system we play and trying to, it just puts us into pressure straight away because we have to go wide instantly because that's the only type where we have space and time until we get pressed into the into our lives and have to then go back into the middle. I, that's being said, I, that's the difference. I want you not. I want you not to play as the eight and then Norgard to play as the four if they played with each other. I wouldn't want to see them as two fours because it just limits us and you play more of a four two three one then. I just don't think we're particularly good when we play that system or in that way. He played quite deep for Bochum with two sixes or fours, whatever you're calling them, and in a double pivot as well. And I think um, uh, that suited it because just the Germans love the four-two-three-one, and it's very much like right, we'll have it, and then you counter attack, and then we'll have it, and then we'll wait and sort of try and spring another counter attack, and it's very much like just sitting in that four-two-three-one shape, and just it's not. Um, it's a little bit different here. I think you've got to work harder to 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 create moments against other teams, otherwise you'll just give the ball away and then you'll get counter attack yourself as well. So, yeah, it's he's still developing. I mean, he's had a great season. I don't think we should think of it anything else other than a brilliant season. And, um, yeah, he's got us He's got us this far. Now that we have Christian back, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they um, they fit in together. Um, as we start wrapping up, Jake, I reckon we just um, finish off with a bit more of a broader championship one. That's, uh, Joe, did you see? Um what was that one that was sent in? Uh, oh, Lou Sluman, that was it. It was um, not specifically about Brentford this one, but any shock inclusions for the playoff spots? What do you think of that one? See, I think Cardiff have picked too early. I think that they're starting to perform to their expected numbers, but that was going to happen with a new manager bounce. Everyone feels good about themselves. But with 12 games left, I see them running out of steam. I think Barnsley are hitting their good patch a bit too soon for my liking. I think they're going to fall away at some point as well. I think they're... They're struggling. Um, for me, I think top six, other than Bournemouth, I don't think really much will change. I think it might. I think in my head, I've got it down as Norwich, Watford, Brentford, Swansea, Reading, Bournemouth as my top six. I don't think there'll be any surprise packages. I think Cardiff will fall off. I think Borough will get close, but no cigar. I think, um, and that's how it will go for the rest of the year. I, I don't. I think they're just too much stronger. I think, the only team that might fall out are Reading if they because just the squad's not good enough. But they've been bloody good this year, and I think they'll hold on to it. Yeah, interesting. Um, I've got. I don't think it's massively surprising, but the more and more I've looked at this, and uh, I, I think Barnsley are going to get into the playoffs. I'm sure of it, mate. And I think it's going to be at the expense of a Reading or a Bournemouth. I'm going to stick my um, stick it to the mast there. I think Barnsley are going to get in at expense of one of those teams. I think Bournemouth um, had a gamble with Woodgate, and I think that's going to backfire a little bit. And I, what I saw against Watford, I wasn't impressed with. And they still they, recently that was um, a bit of a chaotic game, and they just lost their heads in that game and tried to take a couple of players with them getting sent off. I didn't see a really cohesive unit that thought seriously about this season. I, I didn't. I just didn't like a few things I was seeing there. But Barnsley are they've got the wind in their sails. They They've got a good squad there. They've got a squad that people can 
they can plug players in in and out of that system quite easily. It doesn't. It does. It's not just about that first eleven. They've got some good rotations. I think against us as well, changing that front three the way they did with Woodrow on the bench and um, bringing a couple of other changes in just was pretty terrifying. So they they kept their pressing. They kept their out of the possession game really like really effective and they could just change their team basically with these five subs so I've, I've got a feeling they're going to make it actually I, I don't think Cardiff will I think Cardiff you're right I think they've probably had their their good run and they look like a, they look like a mid-table team that's having a good bit of luck whereas Barnsley at the moment look pretty much to me like a, a team just around the playoffs and things are going on their side so yeah we'll we'll see how it goes but um I think We've run over a little bit extra than we planned, but I think it's definitely worth it. We've had some good questions and good to chat to you. Um, anything um, anything to sort of round up? Anything exciting that you've been thinking about that you'd like to just finish off with? Oh, it's all good for me. Thanks, mate. It's a pleasure to be on as usual and love having a nice spread for chatting. There's some good questions in there. It's nice to have a bit of a tactical chat sometimes and go through it in a bit more detail than we normally would yeah i think it's great i think it's um it's a good format and uh yeah if time permits we might be able to do a few more of these we'll see we'll see so it's really good to have a um have your angle on things but yeah thanks again for joining us thanks very much Dave. okay so just to round up then a bit of housekeeping bits it's um yeah beast tactical is the watchword follow beast tactical uh subscribe to the patreon go onto the twitter page um and just leave some reviews on the podcast and yeah hopefully there'll be a few more um but yeah thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 